Um, welcome to episode 13 of Four Quarters. In quarter one, we go over our weekly NFL around the horn. We talk some of the biggest games from the week. Uh, moving on into quarter two, we do the same thing in college football. We go over some of our favorite games and some of our least favorite games. We talk about whether or not Florida State, Duck, Clemson, or whether they really had some coronavirus problems. At halftime, Brad and I went over which bets didn't hit and which did, and then we tell you what bets we like for this week in both the NFL and college football. Quarter three, we talk a little pro basketball. We talk Rockets, Lakers, Heat, Gordon Hayward, Tatum, and Donovan Mitchell. And then we move on to some college basketball. We talk about its comeback. We talk about what it's going to look like when tourney time comes around. And then we finally, we slide into quarter four. I'm going to tell you why Justin Herbert is easily the rookie of the year, even without a Joe Burrow injury. And Brad's going to tell you uh, why some team in Carolina is going to beat Notre Dame. Four Quarters is brought to you by Habits 365. And if you don't know what it is, it is probably one of the best apparel brands that me and Brad have ever come across. Now, they offer some of the best hoodies, sweatshirts, hats, and some even exclusive gear. They're a, a pair of brand that had that sponsors uh, Lamar Jackson, uh, Teron Matthew, the Honey Badger, and even a couple rappers like DaBaby and Lil Baby. They bring you some of the best clothing, and they believe in wearing your habits, and they believe in having good habits 365 days a year. Brad has a dry fit shirt that he tells me about probably every day and how much he loves it. And I ordered a hoodie. That's probably one of the most comfortable hoodies I've ever had on. It's fleece. It's warm. It's comfy. And it fits like a dream. So go check out habits 365 and at checkout enter four all caps quarters two. that's the number four quarters in all caps and the number two. All right, welcome to Four Quarters episode 13. Me and Brad are doing this episode remotely just for our listeners to know. And with that being said, we're going to roll in and roll right into quarter one. We're going to start with the game from last night, a good Monday night football game, uh, Bucks Rams. And uh, my initial takeaway is the Bucks just don't know who they are right now. It's pretty clear that they can't decide if they want to be a deep passing team, a running team. And Tom Brady has no chemistry with these receivers when he's taking deep downfield shots, which is something I talked about earlier. It seems like all he's doing is just grabbing all the talent but then they don't have any chemistry. So the offense doesn't really click. This offense does not look like it is gelled at all to me. No. And I think it's, it's kind of almost what I expected. It's just a bunch of big names on a football team playing football. I mean, last night it was nice to see them kind of include a B a lot more. I mean, that seemed like that was who Tom wanted to go to all night. Mike Evans again, looked good, but I feel like it's just, it's 11 guys playing their own style of football and it just happens to work sometimes. And sometimes it doesn't. Um, and I think I'm, I also just want to look at the Rams. I think the Rams looked really good. Jared Goff had a great night last night. The picks, not the best, but that's okay. I mean, it was Jared Goff. I mean, JPP now has almost, what is that, almost as many picks as he has fingers on his left hand or something like I that? Believe that, is the, uh, that? I believe that is the stat. Because I think he's got three fingers on one hand, and he's got two picks on the season. So hey, Probably three and a half. Yeah, something like that. But, yeah, shout out JPP for that. Um that game last night was – I love that it was good. I love that. I felt that this weekend that every game that we, we watched in primetime from Thursday night to Sunday night to Monday night, they were all good games. It wasn't really like a game like we were used to where it's, you know, like Jets-Broncos on a Thursday night that nobody wants to pay attention to and watch. Right. I mean, I think the Bucks. I think the Rams looked really good, and I think really what nobody's talking about is that defense. And I think when the Bucks face a good defense that knows who they are, they just didn't – 
they just couldn't uh, get it together. And I think early in the game, they were going to Michael Tom or Mike Evans and it was working. He was dominating. He was making that offense flow. And then towards the end of the game, either he got taken away or they just kind of forgot he was on their team because they stopped throwing him the ball and their offense kind of just stalled out and they had opportunities to win the game. But again, like to end the game, it was a deep downfield throw that Tom Brady threw the interception on. And I don't really attribute that to Tom as much as to there's no chemistry between the receivers. Like I said before, I think that's the problem. There's no chemistry there on this team. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're still, obviously it's not a young group of guys, but they're so young at being together. Like they're not, you know, they've, they've been, playing football as a team for maybe what three months now since September right. realistically we had no preseason I feel I still think if you're a Bucks fan I still think you have promise and hope that you know I mean they're going to make a little bit of a run they might not win a Super Bowl this year but I still think that you shouldn't let last night's loss put you down but back to your point with the Rams defense Jalen Ramsey is the best corner in the league I mean you know? by far he's having a defensive player of the year season Yes, 100%. And I think to your point about Mike Evans not showing much late, I, I noticed a lot of the times that it seemed like they just decided Jalen Ramsey, you're covering Mike Evans. That's all we care about. Go right. ahead and do that. Because he was covering him in the slot. He was covering him if he was outside. And I think that if you're Jalen Ramsey, obviously he loves that. I mean, all corners love that. DBs love that. They love getting put with the number one guy. But I think that, that, that that's been the key to success for the Rams so far. They, they've been hit or miss a lot of times. But I think – Last night, their defense really showed that going up against a very talented offense, they can make a stand and make a stop, which I think not, gets them moving forward, you know, like makes right. them look better moving forward. And another thing about this defense is they rush the passer. I mean, they make you uncomfortable in the pocket. I mean, with I mean, Aaron Donald didn't have a spectacular night last night, and Tom still looked uncomfortable. I mean, they get pressure with you from all four defensive linemen and their linebackers. I mean, it's a really tough defense to go against. And that offense is just very creative because Sean McVay's there. I mean, he kind of he's gonna throw every look at you he can possibly think of. So, I mean, I really think the Rams are quietly not nah, maybe not a contender for the Super Bowl, but definitely a contender for the NFC title for sure. I definitely I would definitely put them in that category. I don't think that there's teams necessarily this year that I can put, you know, far ahead of others, especially in the NFC. Like the Saints right now hold the number one seed, which I don't see. But I'm not even confident team. about them. That's what I'm saying. I don't see them as a team that should have a number one seed, but they are right in two. So you got to give them respect where it's due. But defensively, Aaron Donald. Yeah, he didn't have a big night statistically. He didn't get a lot of sacks, whatever. But when you go back and if you look at that game and look at him rushing the passer, he's getting double and triple teams every single time. Right. It's just opening everything up for everybody else on that defense. And when they're faster, it's making the, the quarterback uncomfortable and he's making bad passes on a secondary to, against a secondary that's very talented as well. Right. And you just brought up the Saints, and that's the game I wanted to talk about next. King of the Taysom Hill. I thought that was pretty creative on my part. Taysom Hill comes out, wins a ball game against a not good Falcons team, and doesn't really have a great game as a thrower. He ran for two touchdowns. I mean, he showed his athleticism. I think he threw for like 256 yards, somewhere around that number. He had a decent game as a backup, but Really, I mean, they just keep adding ribs to Drew Brees' injury. Now he's up to 11 fractured ribs and a collapsed lung. So it's not sounding like Drew Brees is going to be back in the game anytime soon. So I'm not really sure, you know, how long are we going to be sustainable with Taysom Hill starting at quarterback? I don't see for very long, for much longer. Um, I mean, they're going to have 
they're going to have to win some games down the stretch here to keep this number one spot in the NFC. I don't see Taysom Hill as the guy that's going to be able to do that because that offense struggled even when Drew was healthy. Yeah, I've never been completely sold on Taysom Hill. I love him in the NFL because he's just a pure athlete and can really do almost anything on a football field. But him as a pure quarterback is not – that's not his forte. That's not what he does. He's there – I mean, he's like a, he's like a Lamar Jackson, basically. You know, right. he, he's – they give him the ball in the backfield, and it's a designed quarterback run on pass plays. He doesn't even necessarily need to pass it because, of the, you know, the DBs get so far back in coverage, he just gets outside the pocket and he can take off for 10, 15 yards of play. So, right. And I think that with, with them playing Atlanta in that first game back, definitely – boosted him a little bit because we know Atlanta's not great. Their defense isn't great either. I think it helps the Saints that his first game was against New Orleans or his first game, his first start was against Atlanta for this year because obviously it just builds some confidence. You know, he's able to, he's able to make some throws, make, you know, playing an NFL game as a starting quarterback and play for the whole four quarters. But I'll be curious to see because they got next week, they got Denver. So, you know, I still think they'll be fine. They got Atlanta again the week after they get Philly, but these last, you know, Three games they have the Chiefs, the Vikings, and the Panthers. Now the Chiefs, the Chiefs, that's going to be a great game, I think. Also, but by that time, with with the conversation I'm hearing in regards to Drew Brees, it seems like they're going to try and bring him back. And I, I don't t- think, I mean, but is, is he going to be the same Drew Brees? More than likely, no. Not with eleven eleven ribs. I mean, he's about to run out of the ribs he can fracture. I mean. The better question is how many ribs are healthy at this point with Drew Brees. I'm not sure that he's going to be the same quarterback. And really, I was confused as to why Jameis Winston didn't get the start. I thought he would give them a better chance to win down the stretch and maybe even give Drew Brees a game or two. I mean, if you look at their upcoming schedule, they play the Broncos and the Falcons again. So they have two games where I could see Taysom Hill getting a victory. The Eagles are not the Eagles are one of those teams where you really don't know what you're going to get week to week. So, you know, you're not sure how, who's going to start that game again. Like you said, they play the chiefs Vikings, another oddball team. And they close with the Panthers, another team that can compete. So they're going to need, I mean, out of their last, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six games. They need four wins there. They need four wins there. Need have to have to have to have four wins there. And I don't see, I mean, can Taysom Hill string together four wins there? I'm going to go no. I think either Drew Brees healthy or Jameis Winston gives them the best shot there. What I would have at least liked to see in that in that game was, I mean, they were up what twenty? They won twenty to nine. Yes. At least get you know they could be a fourth quarter. You know, two minutes left. You're still up two possessions. Put Jameis in for a drive. Let's see what he's got. Let's see if you know if he can go and throw the football. Obviously, I don't think that they made any game plan. I heard they did. They, they didn't have any packages ready for him to come in and play at all. Like he was completely out of this game. He had no intention of using him, which I think is a bit too far because you're not playing a starting quarterback. Taysom Hill is not a quarterback that's going to come in every season and 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 win you 10, 11, 12 games. He's, he's there for a short period of time until teams can adapt his playing style. We've seen it with Lamar, and they're all, teams are already ready for Lamar. They know how to deal with him, so I think stopping Taysom Hill is going to be a lot easier. It was nice to see him put a lot of focus towards Michael Thomas. I mean, Michael Thomas had 100 yard rece- hundred yards receiving, but I mean, we have Alvin Kamara, who was not the leading rusher on that in this game because Taysom Hill took over. So I think right. that they're leaving themselves right. options open because they were able to win that game without using Alvin Kamara very much. But at the same time, they're going to be able to – teams are going to be able to figure out how to stop the run against the Saints. And he's not, he's not going to be – he's not going to be this guy right. to, to I, lead them to success down the road. 
Right, and I don't think Taysom Hill is going to be able to win a shootout against the Chiefs. I just don't see that happening. Moving on to another NFC team, uh, Carson Wentz uh, looks really, really bad. And I have tried and tried and tried to defend Carson Wentz, but at this point, Man, I just I don't know. He threw a he threw an interception yesterday that just I, I literally asked like who are you throwing that football to? Like where is that ball going? And yes, a lot of people are hurt on this team. I get it, but he had an inability to get the ball to Alshon Jeffrey yesterday. Travis Fulgham's coming along, and Miles Sanders is back, so he has some of his weapons back. I don't know what it is with Carson Wentz. I don't know if this is just this year is not his year, but do you think it's time to move on? From Carson Wentz? 100%. And, and here's why. It's because every year people defend Carson Wentz no matter what. He's what? He's what? Five seasons in now? Yes. At least, yeah, I think he's his fifth year. Every year, I mean, he's gotten hurt. Yes, okay. You know, he tore his ACL. He's had some bad luck. But he comes back. You know, he, Nick Foles led him to a Super Bowl. Then they bring back. Well, 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 hold on. <laughs> the defense was a big contributor in that Super Bowl, as was the play calling. And you have to understand they lost um, Frank Reich to the Colts. That was a big loss for them that nobody's really talking about. He was their offensive coordinator and made that offense tick. They took him away. This offense is very stagnant now. So it's it's important to understand that as good as Doug Peterson is as a head coach, Frank Reich played a big role in that Super Bowl win as well. Yeah, but even still, I still think you have to move on and get get over Carson Wentz. I think he's. I don't know if you can put him in a bust, but I feel like he's just an average quarterback this year. I'm not ready. I'm below average. I think they should play Jalen Hurts. I've been huge on Jalen Hurts. I don't know what he'll do in an NFL game. I don't know what he'll look like for the for the Eagles, but I think you need to start playing him. I don't think Jalen Hurts is the answer in Philadelphia, but to boot, I also don't think Carson Wentz is the answer in Philadelphia anymore. I think the I just don't think there's a relationship there anymore. I don't think it's going to be able to keep continue to grow. So I think Wentz is done in um, – uh, I just lost my train of thought there. I don't think he's done in Phil- – I think he's done in Philadelphia. I don't think he's done in the NFL. I think Carson Wentz – I mean, he was just in an MVP conversation two years ago. So I think Wentz is going to have an opportunity in the NFL to get a starting quarterback job. I mean, you're looking at some aging quarterbacks – that are getting ready to retire, Indianapolis, Pittsburgh, Tampa Bay. You don't know how much longer Tom's going to be there, New Orleans. So Carson Wentz is going to come available, and Sam Darnold is going to come available. So I think Wentz, there's going to be a market for Carson Wentz, even though he had a bad year this year. We know what Carson Wentz can do if he has a good system around him. He's a reckless guy on the field. He's a reckless quarterback, so you can't get away from that. He likes to throw the ball around like he's Pat Mahomes and he's not. And that causes a lot of turnovers. So that's always something you're going to have to deal with Carson Wentz. But I still think he's going to be somebody that can play at an MVP level again. It just won't be in Philadelphia. Yeah, no, I think I think his time's done in Philly. I think that they should already just start moving on. Yeah, okay. Played Jalen Hurts a couple times these last few games. You don't have anything to lose. I mean, I guess they do. I guess it is the NFC East. There's still there's what, a three way tie now for first play like that. So Yeah. I, I don't really know what they could do because you could play Carson Wentz. You'll keep getting the same results you've been getting. I mean, it's got him up towards the front of the NFC East, which isn't impressive, but hey, you know, they, they're, they have the potential to win a division. So you can keep it with that. Or you can try, yeah. You can try to switch it to Jalen hurts and see if that changes anything for the team. 
Do I think it makes a big change? Absolutely not. Do I think it could be the same exact results that they're getting now? Absolutely. You just got to – they just got to start checking new things out because clearly what they're doing right now is not working. You have to at least try. I agree there. Um, this was a good win for the Browns, I guess. Not really. No. But this is something that the Browns fans and the Browns organization is going to hang their hat on. But if you look at some statistics here, something really concerning is uh, – do you know who still has more passing yards than Baker Mayfield? Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott still has more passing yards than Baker Mayfield. And if that there does not show you that Baker Mayfield is not an elite quarterback, I don't know what else will. I mean, he's still getting outperformed by a guy that hasn't played since week three of the NFL season. Baker Mayfield is a bust. He's more of a bust than Carson Wentz is in my mind. He just has the benefactor of having Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb, OBJ, Jarvis Landry, and now a decent head coach in uh, Kevin Stefanski. But Baker Mayfield is not throwing the ball, so he's not this. He's not the one leading this team. It's the running game leading this team. I mean, let's make no mistake about it. Yeah, but I feel like Cleveland's always kind of been a team. Well, they've always had to be a team that that was known for their running offense because their passing offense hasn't done anything in the past like thirty years or something like that. But right, and I agree. I mean, I never, I never bought into anybody talking about Baker being elite. I mean, I think he's an average quarterback. I think below he average. Go- I, I, I'll give him average because I think he can go in there. Obviously, at least this year we've seen it. You know, if he's got to make a couple plays, he can make them. Is he doing but if you crazy? look at who, like, by like his best passing performances have come against the worst secondaries in the NFL. Dallas, Washington, the Bengals twice. So he's not dominating against – and even the game against Washington, he didn't have a phenomenal passing day. He didn't have a passing touchdown. Even against uh, Dallas, he only had a, one or two passing touchdowns in a game where they scored 50 points. So I don't think that we can call Baker an average quarterback. He's a capable below average quarterback, but essentially he's Case Keenum. He's not even Kirk Cousins. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I mean, I don't, I've never, I've never been one to talk. Like I said, I've never been one to talk Baker up. I am a huge Baker fan because I love them in Oklahoma. So I, you know, kind of rode that wave into the NFL, but I think he's just, I think he's settled down into a spot where, what he is now is what he's going to be forever. And I don't think there's changing that unless somehow he comes out next year and drops, you know, 5,000 plus yards, 50 touchdowns, something crazy. It won't yeah. happen. But if that does, he, good for Baker. But He gets anyway. worse every year. But moving on, we talked about the Bengals just a second ago when we were talking about the Browns. And the one, the one thing I want to talk about this game is, unfortunately, we just lost Joe Burrow for the season. Torn ACL, torn MCL, and other structural damage in the knee. And we just – you just hate to see that because Burrow was having an all-time rookie season. And, um, I mean, I think he was showing that he deserved to be the number one pick and that he was changing things in Cincinnati. But it just goes to show, man, like, that Bengals team, they need to get better. They need to get better up front. That offensive line is garbage. I mean, they should be ashamed that that offensive line is gets trotted out there every week. Um so I hate to see that for Joe Burrow. Washington gets a kind of a cheap victory, but I just hate to see Joe Burrow go down because he was showing, he was proving everything to us, even me, who I thought he wasn't going to be rookie. I didn't even think he was going to be rookie of the year, but he was making his case for it for sure. So hate to see that from Joe. I think in in if you're the Bengals, I think I don't I don't think yeah okay it sucks yeah you lost Joe Burrow towards ACL MCL basically blew out his entire knee. It's very sad, very depressing. I think. From a Cincinnati front office perspective, you should be 
you should be at, you, there's a way you can flip this and spin this because now they're going to get they're already going to get a good draft pick but I don't see them winning a football game for the rest of the year. So now no. they're going to be given essentially the best pick possible. You just go straight to the line. You can get a top 10 offensive line talent, get a tackle, start building up front and and protecting Joe in the long term because now that he's completely blown out his knee, shoot might not even play next year. He's not going to be Exactly the same. I mean, that's a that's a whole knee. He's got to basically get his whole knee reconstructed. It's different when you come back. You tear an ACL. You come back. Yeah, you have a chance to be the same. I mean, he does have a chance to be the same quarterback. But, but I mean, there's a time. chance we won't see Joe Burrow till the 2022 season. I mean, yeah, that's they, they said nine to twelve month healing time and or recovery time. So I'm not gonna hold my breath to see him next year. No, I'm not either. And it's a shame that we won't because I was excited to see the progression that Joe Burrow was gonna make, but. Prayers up to <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> prayers up to Joe. That was a non-COVID call for anybody that was concerned. But prayers up to Joe. Hopefully we're praying for a speedy recovery and hopefully he can get back out there and keep doing what he was doing. Another point in this game, this is a little bit more on the lighthearted side. This has nothing to do with the game, but they asked Alex Smith how he learned to play without his legs. Did you see this quote? I did not. He said he watched film on Philip Rivers to learn how to play quarterback without using your legs. I thought that was the funniest thing I've heard all week. I saw you put that on there, and you were like, Alex Smith comes at Phillip Rivers, and I had no idea what you were talking about, but that's hilarious. It's the funniest thing I've read all week. He said, I watched Phillip Rivers to learn how to not use my legs at quarterback, which just goes to show you that Phillip Rivers needs to retire, but I thought that was funny. Hey, he's he's just learning from the best at at being able to to somehow manage to play 20 years of football without having to run, period, or move. Phillip Rivers is very immobile. It just speaks to the reason as to why he has nine children. Anyways, um, the Carolina Panthers pitch a shutout at home. Let's go. The Lions flew all the way to Charlotte not to score a point. And this, like, the Lions are a team where I feel like they can win any week but also can be the worst football team in the league any week as well. Listen, so they're another team. They didn't even have a just, red zone possession in that football game. Yeah, I just, I've never seen anything like that. A team that just won a close game goes into Carolina and just gets stifled. No, I think for me it wasn't necessarily – okay, P.J. Walker looked great. I, you had a good I, game. I wanted P.J. to start at the beginning of the year, obviously because I, I didn't have a lot of faith in Teddy. Teddy's proved me wrong. I'm glad Teddy's been playing. I hope he comes back. But I like P.J. I like where P.J.'s at. He looked good. He wasn't afraid to sling that rock down the field. D.J. Moore looks very good as well. He's starting to come into his own. I knew he was going to be a good receiver, and he's really starting to show it now. I think we got to not look at the offense in this in this game because that's been a lot of what people have talked about for the good sides of Carolina and go to their defense because their defense played lights out football for a whole six. They're hours. one of the more underrated defenses in the NFL. I'm finally I'm so happy to see Brian Burns is getting the starting time he deserves. That secondary is good. Now, the linebackers, I couldn't name you one of their linebackers. That's going to need work. But I think that defense is on the upward slope. And I think Carolina is headed in a good direction. They're a couple pieces away. One of those is quarterback. Now, are we saying P.J. Walker is going to be a franchise guy? Eh, well, he, is like, he is like 30. So, I mean, he, yeah. he, he, he's been around the league already for X amount of time, went to the XFL, played like a MVP, and now he's like 30, trying to get his, his spot in the NFL again. Yeah, I'm not sure that we're seeing P.J. Walker being the future of Carolina, nor do I see Teddy Bridgewater being the future either. So we'll see how the season goes. Carolina's definitely going to have to make some moves in the draft as far as linebacking and offense, as far as quarterback goes, offense. But I think they're set at running back. They look, that offensive line looks good. That receiving core looks better. It's better than people give it credit for. 
that secondary in Carolina is better than people get it credit, give it credit for. So I'm liking where Carolina is going, being a Carolina native. Yeah. And being a non-Carolina native, but Carolina fan, I just, I, there's been every year since about 2015 when they were in the Super Bowl. I've looked into the next season and in my head said, hey, we're going to win a Super Bowl. But I've never been confident at all because of the front office they have or had and, and just the moves that they were making. They weren't paying anybody, whatever. But right now, from, a, from where we were a year ago to now, it's a completely different football team. And it's definitely a different football team, and this team's going to be able to compete. So much promise. Eventually. Eventually. If they don't mess it up. If they yeah, don't give mess it, it up. I give it three or four years. And they'll be back making their runs. So Okay. We'll see. That's another big prediction. Moving on to a team that is on a definite downslope. Derrick Henry runs all over the Ravens. And I'm pretty sure Ravens defenders just have nightmares about Derrick Henry because this team and the Titans, they were the ones that absolutely drubbed the Ravens in the first round of the playoffs and ruined their season. And here again, you know, the Ravens are looking for revenge. Again, I believe it was in Baltimore for the second time. Beat the Ravens again. This time it was a little closer, but it was Derrick Henry at the end. Ravens didn't seem like they wanted to tackle him. I wouldn't either. And one of the things I want to talk about on this game, the Ravens are clearly on a downslope. They've dropped two out of their last three. Uh, Also, really three out of their last four. Um, I just don't like what I'm seeing from the Ravens right now. Lamar has had a sub 100 passer rating in six straight games. It's starting to beg the question, is this guy a one hit wonder? And I'm leaning towards yes, because we have not seen an improvement in his throwing. He's made some passes that do not look good, especially deep downfield. Now he still has a chance to improve. It takes time to get your accuracy better, but outside the numbers, he still struggles. He is still a, a predominantly tight, tight end thrower. Um, I don't know, man. I don't even I, – I mean, right now this Ravens team is in the hunt, and I could foresee – I mean, if they lose to Pittsburgh on Thursday, which is a distinct possibility, they have both of their starting running backs out yeah, they, due to COVID. they're going to lose on Thursday. So, I mean, right now, man, it looks to me that if they lose to Pittsburgh, they're four games back in the AFC North, and their playoff hopes are dwindling fast. And, um, I mean, I, what do you think – what do you, what say you to that? No, I, I agree with you. I think that – I think Lamar had his good year. Nobody knew how to play against him. He was something different that they really had. Nobody in the league had really been expecting. And this year they've just figured it out. And that's, and that's really all there is to say. I mean, like you said, he hasn't improved his passing ability. He can't win a game if they're down by one possession late in the game because all they're built to do is run the football. And I think I don't think you can solely put that all on Lamar. I think it, it comes from the coaching staff too. They got to they gotta put yeah. more focus and, and – have more situations where Lamar is passing a football because at the end of the day, he's still a quarterback. He's not a running yeah. back. He's been yeah. used as a running back. You got to, you got to move on from that. You got to stop doing that. Let the man throw the football, let him get better at throwing the football. He's still young. Let's not, let's not get away from that. I mean, he's still a young quarterback. He still has time to improve, but right. I think that, that that window for him to get his passing to its peak and have him perform at his peak, both running and passing the football, the window is very small and it's closing every day. Yeah, plus I think when you talk about player development, your team is a part of that. The system you're in is part of the development. So they need to start putting him in positions in practice, in games, to start forcing him to be a more throw-first quarterback. That's what we need to see from Baltimore, not just Lamar. It needs to be a hand-in-hand type development. 
Another thing I saw in this game was uh, Jim Hart or it's John Harbaugh, right? I'm not a fan of this guy. Just brushed off Mike, Mike Vrabel after the game. Didn't even want to shake his hand. Grade A dick move, on, in my opinion. And he had something to say to Malcolm Butler before the game. John Harbaugh is the most faux tough guy there ever has been or ever will be. Really, really classless, in my opinion. Dick move. Go shake your hand. Take your loss like a man. Shake the other coach's hand. Don't be that guy. And that's the way John Harbaugh has always been, which is why I'm very excited for Thursday. And I hope the Steelers win by three touchdowns. And I hope Mike Tomlin doesn't even say anything to Coach Harbaugh. But whatever. We'll see. Yeah, and I feel like we've seen this before. I don't. I can't remember when it was or who it was against. But I'm pretty sure John Harbaugh's done something like that before where he was just kind of petty after the game. He's a little butt hurt, you know, trying to act like a six-year-old yeah. kid. He didn't want to didn't want to own up to the loss that they just taken. Yeah, I get it. It hurt. It was an overtime loss to a team that you also lost to in the playoffs a year ago. But at the same time, you're an NFL head coach. You know, yeah, like just, just grow up, man up, take it like a man, move on. Take it on the chin, keep going. But it seems that the Titans have the Ravens number. It really just seems that way as far as the past two years ago. It just I seems mean, that it, way to me. And you can look at it like as good as they are at running the football, they have struggled to stop it when they play Tennessee. Right. And I think Ryan Tannehill is in the perfect system. I don't think Tannehill could be in a better spot because, you know, you think in, a, in overtime they're a run-dominant team. The only time they ran were the last two plays of overtime. They threw the ball the first half, the first, like, I believe it was six plays. They threw the ball the first four. So if they really caught the Ravens off guard. Ravens sold out for the run, and here's Tannehill throwing dimes. A.J. Brown is a dog of a receiver. I just think I think this team could make some waves in the AFC playoffs. No, and I, I think so too. I think that I think that you can't you can't sleep on them. They're gonna do something similar to what they did last year, but they're gonna have more eyes on them because last year they were slept on. They made a little run in the postseason. That was that. This year we're seeing similar things to what they did a year ago. So it's very promising. And I think back to your point about Ryan Tannehill being in the perfect system. I agree completely. I mean, he's, he's a quarterback that he's been shown to make throws. He can, he can hit his receivers when he needs to, when he's counted on, he's not going to be the guy that's going to lead you on a game winning drive down the field with his arm. But since he has Derrick Henry in the backfield and Ryan Tannehill's just good enough to be kind of a threat, you still have to respect both sides of it. And Ryan Tannehill can tear you up. Derrick Henry can obviously tear you up. So I think if I'm Ryan Tannehill, I'm never leaving Tennessee. No, never. One, I want to just roll over. The only reason I threw it in here was just to get at you. The Pats drop another to a team they probably shouldn't have lost to after beating the Ravens, but maybe the Ravens aren't who we thought they were. But Deshaun Watson gets the better of Cam Newton because he's the better quarterback by, like, leagues. Um, Yeah, I mean, I just – the Pats are just not a playoff team. They're already, what, four and six now, so they're going to have to make a – like eight game, six game winning streak, something like that. Yeah, but Cam, yeah, six game winning but, streak. But Cam had his best game as a quarterback this season. Yeah, and threw for one touchdown. Threw for one touchdown. That's his best game as a quarterback. Yeah, like, with almost four hundred passing yards. Everybody's been talking about how Cam's not throwing the football. He's not getting the ball out. He's not. He's not doing anything down the field. He threw for almost four hundred passing yards. He had a couple and it, one it, touchdown. Yeah, does, yeah, but he's still he's he's improving. He went through what six seven weeks without one. And now he's finally starting to throw the football again. They're, okay, they're, yeah, they're he has three touchdowns on the year. 
Yeah, well, he's never that's been expected to be a passing quarter or to, to throw atrocious. touchdowns. When you get in, atrocious. when you get into the red zone, Cam's always been known. When you're inside the 15, just give the ball to Cam, and there's a very high chance he's going to find his way into the end zone. And that's yeah. How see, I've never, I've never bought it. I've never bought into that. I would just sell it for the run then and make Cam throw the ball because he can't. Moving on because we could talk about this the live long day. Tua gets benched, confirming what I had said about Tua a couple weeks ago that he's not special. And then no Fitzmagic after that. Fitzmagic comes in, throws a pick to end the game. Tua gets benched. Are we sure it's because of injury, performance, taking too many sacks? Didn't really get an answer on that from Brian Flores. But it would seem that Tua is not living up to snuff if he did get pulled in this game. Yeah, I mean, I was confused at why he got pulled. At first, I was like, okay, he's probably hurt. You know, he, he re-aggravated something one way or another. And then I then I started hearing it's he you know he's been sacked too many times and if that's the case I understand it but, but at the end of the day they were still in that football game right you don't, you I don't think it was a mistake guy. to pull him yeah I do too I think that since he's so young and you even benched Ryan Fitzpatrick to start Tua I don't right. think that you take him and and put him on the bench when he's had I can't say his first bad game because when he in his first start he didn't do much but you gotta you gotta Try and trust the kid. He was only down a touchdown. Right. They're down three right. scores and you pull him. Okay, I agree Fine. with that. Get him out the game. You were down a touchdown. You were in the football game. Don't bring Ryan Fitzpatrick back in. That dude is meant to start until the end of October, and right. he's never done anything after that. Keep to in the I football mean, I, game. Let him win or lose it. Yeah, and I think, you know, when you do this, one, you have a chance of messing up the kid's confidence. Two, it shows that you don't have confidence in him. When you can't make a decision as to who you really want to play quarterback – and even in the middle of the game, then you don't have a quarterback. That's my opinion. I've never bought into quarterback competitions. If you don't know who your quarterback is week one, you don't have a quarterback. That's just the way I've always seen it. Um, so I don't really agree with the idea um, of pulling Tua there. I think you let him finish it out. Going to cover the last two games pretty quickly. Colts went over the Pats in an overtime game. I think the Colts are quietly a Super Bowl contender. They're eight and three right now. They have a decent quarterback in Phillip Rivers. They have probably one of the the number one or number two defense in the league, depending on how you view Pittsburgh. I would say the Colts are a contender, or they could really spoil somebody's season because this is a good football team. I mean, they offensively they don't really wow you, but they're solid on both sides of the football. Phillip Rivers is decent he's going to make you some mistakes he's not going to really you know he's not going to wow you with his arm talent anymore but I also think I mean if you're Green Bay this game was in the bag 14 point you're 14 points ahead and Marquez Valding Stanley's Marquez Valdez scaling fumbles the ball in overtime and your defense can't stop anybody this is just another example of how the Packers continually fail Aaron Rodgers in the draft I know Aaron Rodgers can be a little bit difficult to work with sometimes, but no other, no second receiver, no offensive, like no offensive weapons, no tight end. They got you a running back and an offensive lineman, which you didn't need, and then no defensive help. So it's like, hey, what are you doing? And you let Blake Martinez walk, the best linebacker that's been in that's been in Green Bay for a long time. So I attribute this loss to front office failures early in the season more than you know Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Yeah, I agree with that as well. I mean, Indy, Indy's a defensive football team. They remind me of the Jaguars from, what, 2017, I believe, where they were their defense was just absolutely ridiculous, but their offense couldn't do anything. I mean, their offense can do something. This was the Blake Portals year. 
Yeah, they. I mean, they put up 34 points. You can't deny that. I mean, scoring points in the NFL is a lot easier than it used to be, but still, if you're able to put up 34, you know, it's a pretty good offensive day. But, I mean, this defense is holding them in football games. They're they're making plays when they need to. They have very good linebackers. They got very good DBs. And I don't I don't see them as a contender. I think that I've always kind of – I've slept on them all season long. I've always been iffy on if you can count Indy as a, as a top-tier team this year. But I definitely think I'm on board with them probably messing up somebody's season in the, you know, second round of the playoffs or something like that. And, and you know, sending a team home that nobody would have thought would go home, maybe maybe Pittsburgh. But, um, yeah, I, and, and Green Bay really let me down. I had a lot of hopes that they were going to go into this game. I thought that they were going to um, show, show Indy up, prove that they were a more dominant team, a, a, a more of an elite team this year. I don't think that you can, you can root against that. I don't think that they made a they made it clear that they're not up there with with the best of the best teams this season. But you got to You got to do a little bit more. They've never had big weapons. They've never had, you know, huge highlight names. They've had Aaron Rodgers has been the one consistency on this team. He continues to do everything that he possibly can, and everybody else around him kind of lets him down. Yep, I caught that little dig by the way, you goofball. Anyways, moving on. Last game, Chiefs get the revenge of the Raiders. Wasn't really surprised by this. When it got to towards the end of the game and Pat Mahomes had like a minute and 51 seconds to take him down the field and win, I was kind of like, okay, this game's over. Um, and then I don't really have faith in Derek Carr to win you a late game. Although Derek Carr is playing a lot better than he has in the past. I think this Raiders team is trending upwards. Could make the playoffs, could be another season-spoiling team. But again, Chiefs showed why they were better. Kind of furthered themselves in the division. So, yeah. Yeah, Um Derek Carr, I've always been I've always been a big fan of Derek Carr. I've always liked him. I always thought he was a good quarterback. And now it's good that they finally got some weapons around him. They've got a team built around him that can do something. I think now we're seeing them really as what the Raiders would have been from the first week of the season. They're finally healthy. They had a lot of injuries early, you know, cost them cost them a couple games. But now I think that they're they're coming into their own. They're doing their thing. The Chiefs are literally toying with people. They are they're holding the donut in front of the treadmill and they're not giving it to you when you're done running. It, it doesn't matter. Teams are close in, with them all the time. But, I mean, they had uh, Travis Kelsey line up and take a snap at quarterback. And yeah, that was they, insane. They, I mean, that's just – if I'h if i going against the Chiefs and they're going to do something like that against me, I, that's just the most Am disrespectful thing I've seen. Exactly. Like, I, I don't see them looking at me as a football team in the NFL. They're yeah, that's really, as, that's really disrespectful. Anyways, um, moving on from pro football to college football, with a K for those of you who don't know. Uh, we're going to start with Ohio State. They don't dominate. And I said this on our college football special, uh, the four quarters overtime that we posted on Friday or Saturday. I said Indiana was going to keep this game close, and they did. Ohio State was up two touchdowns at one point, but Indiana made it interesting. But Ohio State didn't dominate, and I don't think that's kind of – I don't think that's uh, – I don't think that's a marcation against them. I don't think that's an indictment against them. They played a good football team. Indiana gave them their best shot which we expected them to. Um, they didn't cover the spread, which is something. another thing I said on Friday that they wouldn't do. So Ohio State doesn't dominate. Tre Justin Fields throws two interceptions, probably has his worst game of his college career, but still manages to get a win. I think if Justin Fields can avoid playing like that again, this team is still a contender to win the college football playoff, win the national championship game. I've been... Does this game raise any concerns for you? I've been really big on Ohio State this year. I'm a really big fan of Justin Fields. I think he's still debatably the best quarterback in the league or in the country. But the three picks that he threw 
on Saturday against this Indiana team were really bad, really bad. They were just balls he shouldn't have thrown. He threw one. He completely missed a receiver, threw it right over the middle. Safety ran right into it. Basically, he threw it to him. The other one he threw, the second one he threw was even worse. He literally just chucked up a ball as he was going down just because we see quarterbacks do that all the time where they just throw it up because I don't, I don't want to sack. And then the dude, the dude just – the ball gets tipped around eight times and the defense ends up with the football. It was not great. I definitely think – and I think most of those happened in the first half. I don't remember if he had any picks in the second half. Oh, no, yeah, he did because he threw that pick six. Oh, no, never mind. That was, that was for Ohio State. He threw another – I'm pretty sure he threw one pick in the second half. But both those ones were early, and I think that that looked really bad. I agree with you. I don't think that this hurts Ohio State's, in the, you know, run into the playoff. Indiana's a good football team. Their defense is legit. I Watching this defense play was insane. They were pressuring Justin Fields on every snap. They made him look incredibly uncomfortable back there. And especially once their offense started to kind of, you know, catch some ground and, and start and start moving the football around. I mean, the whole the whole team, the whole game changed, you know, in a sense. I mean, Ohio State put up 21 points in the fir- in the second quarter. They were, you know, they had 28 points in the first half and Indiana basically just took over from there. Indiana had 14 unanswered in the in the fourth quarter. I mean, it, it, the only worry I would have if I'm Ohio State is the fact that a team like Indiana that doesn't compare to Clemson or Bama or even Notre Dame this year, you know, they, they shouldn't be able to, to hold you like that, especially in the fourth quarter when I know a lot of these games are going to come down late, especially once we get to the playoffs. Right. Moving on, Coastal Carolina keeps winning. This was a game I was really keeping an eye on. Coastal Carolina really outplayed App State here. I thought App State was going to come away with the victory here. Totally wrong. This Coastal Carolina team is really, really good. And I actually watched this game because, as I discussed on Friday, I don't know a lot about Coastal, but after I watched this game, I was sold on their defense. They call their defense like the black hole or something like that, which is tough. That defense looks really, really good. Now, this team is not going to compete with Bama, Clemson, Notre Dame, any of these teams, but – I really like Coastal right now. I think they're going to move up in the rankings. They're probably going to win a, a bowl game. So sold on Coastal Carolina for me is the takeaway that I got from this game against Stapp State. Yeah, I'm definitely sold on them. I mean, I'm sold on them in the Sun Belt. I'm sold at them, like, in their own little bubble of, of you know, where we could put them as a max. You know, you obviously can't put them, I don't think, inside the top eight, really. I mean, they could maybe make a spot at, uh, you know, a spot at 10 if they wanted to, but – Grayson McCall is the real deal. I really like him at quarterback. He looked really good. Yeah, he only threw for 200 yards, but he's not only just, a, you know, a, a threat through the air. He's a threat on the ground. The dude is super fast. I mean, he had like, a, you know, a 50-yard touchdown run in the second quarter that was just absurd. I mean, the dude took off and was just out of there. I mean, I didn't expect it. App State, I mean, I talked about it, when, on, you know, on the overtime when we were talk- discussing it. They just they just ran the football too much. I mean, they their leading rusher did have almost 200, runs, but I definitely think that that. But Coastal looks good. They played them very well. The score I don't think the score in this game shows how close the game really was, moving back and forth because of Zach Thomas's late pick six. But I'm definitely sold on Coastal. They'll they'll finish the year undefeated. You know, pending a, a just like a, a one of those weird losses that they'll take to some team that they definitely should have beat by 90. But I'm sold on Coastal completely. Yep. Moving on, Northwestern wins a surprise game. I really thought that uh, they played Wisconsin. I thought Wisconsin would kind of win this game pretty easily. But again, this Northwestern defense is better than I thought it was too. another game. Another team like Coastal, a team that I didn't know a lot about. Another team we discussed on Friday. That defense is the real deal. They have 
some insane number of interceptions through the first few games. I'm not really sure what it is. I think it's double digits. I mean, they've only played five games and they have doubled it in double digit interceptions already. So I really like, really like this Northwestern team. Um, so sold on Northwestern too. Are they a college football contender? No, but I really like this Northwestern team. They're on an, another upward trend, which I was another team. I was not expecting to be good this year. I mean, I think that they just kind of fit into that, um, you know, just just the kind of football you'd expect, you know, from a from a Northwestern, from a Wisconsin. They're they're very strong on defense, and they really showed that. I mean, Graham Mertz, people were hyping him up after the first two weeks, and you know, talking a lot about him. Northwestern shut him down. They let him do absolutely nothing. It didn't matter. Northwestern's defense controlled that game from the very beginning. I mean, I'm pretty sure Wisconsin scored in the first quarter, and then they didn't score again. I mean, they scored they scored with what five, t- fourteen left in the first quarter. And didn't touch yeah. the end zone after that. They didn't even get into a situation to to. I mean, they they. I feel like they were in the spot. There was times where I felt like Wisconsin could have done something, could have scored, and they just couldn't. Northwestern shut them down in every way possible. I mean, and Wisconsin had five turnovers, and you don't win a game with five turnovers. Right. Bama, Alabama keeps rolling. The only reason I ever have I even have this game in our outline is because they covered the point total by themselves. Well, listen, the spread in that game was at 30-something. I think it was like 33. And when I looked at the score and saw that they beat them by 60, I realized that they doubled the spread, too. Not only did they cover the over, but they also covered the spread twice. So, I mean, I think that this, this Bama team is ridiculous. Kentucky, Kentucky's not great. You know, it's Kentucky. They're not known for football. They're known for basketball. But Bama really this, – this, that, was, that was the kind of win Bama needed to have against the Kentucky team. To, right. can, to show that they're the real deal at number one. Right. And Najee Harris, again, plays well. Mac Jones is playing better. I might be wrong about Mac Jones, but playing well. Georgia escapes. Um, they lead Mississippi State. JT Daniels, um, who a guy that I did not know had transferred there, transferred from USC to Georgia, played well and it kind of answers the question at quarterback again i'm not sure that this offense is very high powered i'll talk about that when we get to our halftime bets but i don't think i don't see georgia really making any waves in the college football playoff Uh, just another bowl season for them i don't really see them as a contender what really pins them is they've already got the two losses on the year yeah and gotten blown out by florida exactly there's no way that anybody can make a case for them to be back in the top four I definitely think that their playoff hopes are, are ruined, especially the fact that they're in the SEC, so they'd really have to win an SEC championship to do so, and that's not going to happen. Um, I mean, they played Mississippi State. They probably should have beat them by 100. They did it. But, I mean, that's just, that's just kind of what happens. I feel like that's what you get with Georgia football. Sometimes they're on, sometimes they're not on. And this was just another day where they weren't doing everything that they needed to, and but they got lucky and escaped with a win. Right. All right, uh, Liberty finally falls. Oklahoma wins easy, by the way, before we move on to Liberty. I don't know that I have much to say about them. I, that game. I didn't really watch it much, but Oklahoma kind of beat them easy, which is something we talked about on Friday. We both said that that was probably going to happen. It did. Yeah, Oklahoma's offense is rolling. Spencer Rattler looks great right now, and there's really not much else to say. And, yep. their, defense, and their defense looked really good against Oklahoma State. Yep. And Liberty fell, which I told you on Friday was going to happen. Um, they played a close game. It looked sloppy on the part of Liberty. They didn't look ready to play, in my opinion. I could be wrong about that, but they beat, they lost to an ACC team. I kind of figured this would happen. Hopefully this doesn't drop them all the way out of the college football rankings. I think they still deserve to be up there after beating Tech. 
but we'll see where Liberty goes after this. Hopefully this doesn't derail their season. I hope these guys don't lose their confidence after losing to NC State because it was a, it was a hard-fought battle. It was a close game. I mean, you held State to only 15 points. Unfortunately, you could only muster 14. So you would hope your offense would play a little bit better in that spot. But Well, Malik Harris had just had his worst game in the season. I mean, I think he – I looked at one point and he had like – 16 yards, you know, in the second quarter passing the ball. He threw three picks, 13 of 32 passing. And I think what I think what really changed this game was they got pinned deep in the third quarter. They had a penalty in the end zone, cost them a safety, and that's the difference in this football game. I mean, if, if they don't allow that safety, this this score ends at 14 to 13 in Liberty's favor. So I think I think that that, that kind of got in the way. I don't think that they should be taking out top 25. I think NC State, as an ACC school, you know, they, they're, they're still a little bit better, even though they might not have the same record, but they're playing ACC schools all year round. Liberty's independent. They're doing whatever. Um, but I still think that this, you know, I don't think Liberty fans should be disappointed in this. I mean, they played an NC State team very well. And, a, and an NC State team that had, has been looking pretty good in, in the world of college football, not necessarily this year, but, you know, last year they looked good at the beginning of the year. So I think that the fact that they're able to hang with a team, you know, hang with an NC State, they have a win over Tech, Shows a lot of promise for them moving forward. I think that they'll get right back on track next week. I agree. Finally, moving on to uh, last thing we're going to talk about before we go to halftime. Did you think Florida State duck Clemson? I mean, really late development where, you know, suddenly in the morning before the game, they decide that they're not COVID secure suddenly somehow. I don't know how this happened. I don't know what transpired from staying in the hotel that night to waking up that morning. I don't know what occurred. But apparently Florida State felt that they were not safe enough to play this game against Clemson. Do you think they ducked Clemson? I mean, kind of. I feel like it, I feel like well. So what happened was it was it was the night before. It was Friday night, and somebody for Clemson tested positive for COVID. So that was really why they that was their you know final decision. They said, "Oh hey, uh, they tested positive, whatever." But I think that their reason. I mean, I think that, that I think that that's the bigger reason for them doing so. But I feel like that gave them an excuse. That gave them a reason to not play a Clemson team, to not get embarrassed. So that I mean, they were going to lose anyways. There was no ifs, ands, or buts about if they were going to win or lose. So they just kind of just avoided beating their dudes up for another week. And then they're able to, you know, they got they got everybody still healthy on that team, and that's all that they were probably hoping for coming out of the Clemson game. Yeah, I don't want to say anything's like faked or they're ducking Clemson and taking advantage, but I do think they. Um, they use the situation to the best of their advantage. Let's just put it that way. They're not upset that they didn't go out and get clapped by Clemson. That's 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 the way I see it. Um, moving on, halftime bets. So last week, if you took the Dolphins like I told you to, you would have lost money. They were favored by three, ended up losing. So sorry, but Mississippi State does cover the spread against Georgia. I told you that Georgia was not – Three and a half touchdowns better than Mississippi State, which they were not. Brad, what about your bets? How'd they pan out for you? Well, so I had Chiefs Raiders last night on Monday or Monday. Yeah, I guess it was last night. Um, no, 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 Sunday night or Sunday night. Sorry, yeah, Sunday night. And that over hit. I knew it would. I mean, there's just two good offenses and two, you know, they're good defenses, but they're not great. I knew that game was going to be a shootout, and it obviously proved that it was going that it was. And then um, Liberty, I picked the spread in that game because I believe that they were plus three and a half, I think is what it was, or might have been plus four and a half when I told people to take it. They only lose by one point. So if you took both of my bets last week, you're welcome. You won yourself some money. Um, 
So this week, I'm being boring. I'm taking two favorites. Texas A&M's favorite 14 over LSU. I would take that because I think Texas A&M is like four touchdowns better than LSU. They only won by like three or four against Arkansas. So take Texas A&M. Take Texas Texas A&M by a lot. Seahawks are um, favored by five and a half. Uh, I think they're going to win by more than this. I think the reason this number is so low because when they win, it's not by a huge margin of victory. But I think this running game is coming along. I think this offense is coming along. And I think this defense is coming along. So things are hitting for the Seahawks at the right time. Um, so I think, let me look at who they play. They also play the Eagles. The line has been moved up to six. I would still take Seattle. I don't think the Eagles offense is going to be able to perform well. That defense doesn't look good. I think this Eagles team is just on the downslope. And I don't see them being able to uh, only lose by three to Seattle. What about your bets for this week, Brad? All right, so our guy Dan Jones over with College Sports West Virginia is going to be excited for me picking this first one. Hopefully I'll stay hot with my two from last week. But I got West Virginia plus 11 against Oklahoma. And I know people are going to think I'm crazy for doing this um, because Oklahoma looks really good right now. But let's remember that this is still Oklahoma. They're still a team that didn't perform well at the beginning of the season. They've shown over the past three or four years that they're going to drop games that they should win. This is a conference game as well. West Virginia's look good. Plus 11. I mean, I'm still not saying Oklahoma loses this game, but I think for them coming off that big win against Oklahoma State, they're not really – they're kind of going to play down in a sense to their opponent. Not that West Virginia is much worse than Oklahoma is, but I see I see that uh, – I think West Virginia loses by maybe a touchdown or less and could potentially win this football game. I would not be surprised if we look at 11 o'clock and turn on ABC, West Virginia's win, beating Oklahoma. Um, and for my second bet – I originally wrote it last night because I wrote this one last night. It was whatever the over is for Chiefs Bucks. And I just looked at it. It's at 55 and a half, and I'm hammering that over by a mile. I mean, it's, it's unless the Bucks come out and play like they did against the Saints, which I don't see happening. This game, they might score 70 points combined between the two teams. I wouldn't be surprised if this was 42 35 uh, come the end of the game. Patrick Mahomes is going to score a lot. He's built to score. That's all he does, that's what he's known to do. The Bucks offense is hit or miss. They didn't look great last night, they lost. I think that they come in there hot. They're playing a very good Chiefs team, and they know that. Tom Brady's going to get them all locked in. The over hits in that game, West Virginia plus 11, and those are my bets for halftime. Well, moving on, quarter three. This is a little bit of a hodgepodge. We're going to talk NBA basketball and college basketball. First thing up, Rockets say they're willing to get uncomfortable with uh, Russell Westbrook and James Harden heading into training camp. I disagree with this wholeheartedly. A lot of people don't like the NBA because the players really do run the league. When they say they want out, they get out. So I think some people are like, oh, yeah, I'm really happy that the GM's sticking up to the players. But if you look at it, like I want if I'm a GM, I don't want anybody in my organization except the people that want to be there. If James Harden and Russell Westbrook don't want to be there, if they're just going to be problems, get out. Now, they signed uh, Boogie Cousins, but I don't think that really makes a difference like. The reason they traded Clint Capella was because he was a lane clogger, couldn't shoot the three. That's the reason they got rid of Clint Capella, because you have Russell Westbrook, who is really type the same player just as a guard. So that's the reason they got rid of Clint Capella, decided to play small ball. So I don't really know that this Boogie Cousins signings really means anything, but I really don't agree with what their GM came out and said about getting uncomfortable. No, and, and, I, and I'm, I'm fully on the same page with if you've got guys in the locker room that do not want to be – with that organization, you need to get them out as fast as you possibly can. You need to get them out faster than the Chick-fil-A drive-thru. The problem here is, is it's 
there's I feel like there's some situations where you can keep a guy who you know doesn't want to be there, but at the end of the day, that guy will just suck it up for a little bit and do his thing and just keep bowling. I think that in the case of the Rockets, they're in the worst possible scenario for this with James Harden and Russell Westbrook, who, even if they want to be somewhere, have already been known to be cancers in the locker room. And I think bringing in Boogie, who – I think he's definitely a lot more mature than he used to be back in the day, back in the Sacramento days. But I also feel like you get him in there, he's going to try to be buddies with James and Russ. And I think that think that could potentially make things worse, that they could, you know, all three of them end up not wanting to be there at all. And that team will just tank and com- look complete opposite to what they were this year. Obviously, I still think they're going to try to win. But I think that, it, you know, if the, this team stays as it is right now going into the season, there's going to be – you know, between Russell Westbrook and James Harden, they're both going to be competing for who can hold the ball more, who can put up more points between the two of them. They're not going to make smart passes. They're going to make bad decisions, and they're just going to hurt themselves. Correct. Uh, moving on, the Lakers are signing literally everyone. They just signed uh, Montrezl Harrell, Mark Gasol, and Dennis Schroeder, so clearly going for the repeat. The only person that they've lost is Rajon Rondo and uh, Danny Green, who – Rajon Rondo played well in the playoffs, but you have an upgrade at that position with Dennis Schroeder. You have another veteran in Mark Gasol, and you have Montrez Harrell, who's a phenomenal defender. I think the Lakers repeat, especially if LeBron's back and AD is at his best version. I just don't see a, a team in the NBA that can compete with them right now because nobody really made any upgrades. And if you look at the Clippers, I don't know really who they are right now. They let go of Montrez Harrell, which was really a head-scratcher for me. So... I'm picking Lakers repeat after some of the moves they have made in this offseason. And I'm pretty sure I said it last week because that, that episode we recorded literally same day as free agency opening up. Everybody was doing all their trading and all that. The Lakers right now are set up to win it all. But hopefully everybody can stay healthy. This roster is definitely a lot older than it was when they won it last year. I mean, not that they were super young, but they brought in guys that have a lot of experience. And I think that that'll help them. I'm excited for this. Clippers matchup between the Lakers and the Clippers because of the Montrezl Harrell signing because there's a little bit of beef. I know Patrick Beverly, you know, he's probably the, one of the most petty players ever in, in a sense. Um, and I know that there's just going to be beef between these two teams. Do I think that it makes the clip helps the Clippers beat the Lakers? Absolutely not. I think the Lakers are going to run the West. They'll have, you know, they're obviously going to lose this basketball. You don't win every game. As long as my thing is, as long as they can stay healthy throughout the course of the season, at least, at the end of the year and going into the playoffs, I don't see a reason for them not to win another championship. But I feel like that could also be a problem because I know it's LeBron, and most times when he's favored, he's able to pull through and do that. But I feel like this year they were slept on. Nobody – like, yeah, they had LeBron and AD. I can't say they were slept on, but, like, they had just LeBron and AD. Now that they've got a wider range of guys, I think that it, the teams are going to want – you know, they're going to be able to focus more on how on beating the Lakers – versus, you know, just playing well with them, moving on. They want to beat them. So that could – I think that could prove a little bit troublesome for them, especially if teams start playing harder against AD and LeBron where, you know, AD seemed kind of soft in the playoffs. And, you know, we just got to hope LeBron, you know, still stays young as he is. Right. Miami Heat, they sign Avery Bradley. They get better. I like that signing. I'm pretty sure you like that signing as well because we were both big on the Heat when uh, the bubble was still going on. I'm still big on the Heat. I mean, I think that in the East, they're going to be a huge problem. Obviously, the Nets are there. I don't, I don't know that, you know, I think that they could be a team to beat the Nets. In the, in the, during the regular season last year, they weren't blowing anybody out. They weren't surprising anybody. They were a fifth seed in the playoffs. You know, it's kind of remarkable how far they made it. 
I think that Avery Bradley helps him. I still think this team is structured pretty much the same so that they're going to be in the playoffs. They're going to be able to make a run. I got a lot of hope for them. I could see them being the team to play the Lakers in the, in the finals this year as long as they're able to beat the Nets and the Bucks. as long as the Bucks mesh well and, and work well with that team that they just built up there. Agreed. Uh, Gordon Hayward signs with the Hornets. I don't really think that's a big deal. I'm not surprised Celtics let him lost. Do you care about this signing? I do a little bit because I think that it shows that uh, Michael Jordan is finally starting to make some bigger moves for Charlotte because he's on that team for quite a few years now, and they've just been irrelevant. You know, they had Kemba, and that was really all that they had. He's gone now. They're starting to bring some guys back in. I think picking up – what is it? Which which ball brother is it? Lonzo Lamelo, I forget Lamelo, Lamelo, that one. Um, but I think having him coming in, I don't know what he's going to do in the league. You know, obviously, I feel like in a sense he's kind of a cancer just with how much outside distraction he brings in. But if he's able to just tone in, tunnel vision, focus on basketball, bringing in Gordon Hayward helps him a little bit. Definitely makes him a better team. I think that they have potential to be. You know, they could make a run for an eight seed. The East isn't strong. I think that they can do it. I think that this is definitely a big first step for them. He signed a big deal for a lot of money. I, I, I like the signing. Do I think it makes it a huge immediate change? No. But I could see them, you know, sneaking in eight seed in the playoffs. I uh, Yeah, I don't I don't really know um, how that's going to really affect Charlotte, but they might get better. Uh, Jason Tatum and Donovan Mitchell both signed maxed contracts this week, and I think both of these guys deserve it. I mean, they're cornerstone pieces for both their franchises now. Boston – is a couple pieces away from being a championship contender. The Jazz maybe a couple pieces more than Boston away. Uh, but I do I do think locking these guys down for extended periods of time is was a good move on the part of both of these franchises. No, and I think I think Jason Tatum is the best player in the Celtics. I mean, I think he's he's proved himself by, be, by far. Yeah, to be dominant, to be that guy that they can rely on at any time of the game. Donovan Mitchell. Basically, similar for Utah. I mean, he, he, he's been balling as well. I mean, those guys, without those two guys on those teams, I don't know if we see them in the playoffs necessarily. Yeah, they could squeak in eight seed, whatever, but, like, those guys are crucial to those teams. I think that – and I don't really know what it is to say that the Celtics need. They need something. They need one more – I really feel like it's a big name. I hate to say that. Like, I hate when it's just big stack big names and use them. It works a lot in the NBA. I think if they can get one more guy in there – they're definitely a contender, potentially the best team in the East. Utah, they got a lot of work to do because they're and and I think it hurts them more because they're in the West. They're playing better, you know, a larger group of better basketball teams, especially when it comes to the playoffs. But I love these. I love both these signings. I love that they were both max deals, and I, you know, I'm happy for both of them. They deserved it. I agree. Uh, Warriors, Luke's Clay really hated to see that he tears his Achilles after missing a whole year with uh, his ACL. So there's really big questions as to whether Clay Thompson is going to be the same player when we get to see him in the 2022 NBA season, as far as that feels. Um, this really hurts the Warriors. I don't think they're a playoff contender this year. They did get Kelly Oubre, though. You know, maybe that fills in a role. Maybe they can solidify some spots up. They added a couple other pieces. So they have a chance to be an average team, but not a playoff contender. I see them being a playoff team, not not a contender, not a long run. Clay definitely hurts, and and, and as much as I hate to say it, I've never I was never a big on the Warriors. I kind of hated him, honestly. I've never been a big fan of Steph. He's a great basketball player, but I just something about him I just didn't like. But 
not having them in the league last year was just not as fun to watch. You miss Steph pulling up from half court, making those shots. You miss Clay putting up 15 threes, you know, in the second quarter or whatever he does. And it, and it sucks that they're going to be without Clay Thompson again. He's honestly my favorite player on that team. Um, Steph's got a lot of work to do. People, the people that want to make the argument for Steph to be the best player in the league, this is your season for that. If they're able to come out and, and make a run and be a top four seed in the West, I still don't think you can make the argument for Steph being the best in the league, but I definitely think it helps the argument. But I, I, I don't see it happening. I don't think Steph is that guy that can by himself lead a team, especially in the West, to a championship. Agreed. Uh, college basketball returns this week. Uh, do you have any preseason champs? Because I just don't. Preseason champs is tough. I feel like what, what, what hurts us big time is we missed March Madness. And March Madness is, I feel like, the time where everybody sits down, they turn on the TV, and they just, you know, they watch basketball for weeks straight. You get to learn the guys. You get to know who everybody is. And that's just for your average everyday fan. You know, the people that are diehards obviously know everything. But, you know, for everybody, they, nobody really knows what's going on. And I think that that's kind of portrayed in the – in the rankings, I feel like there's a lot of moving pieces, especially with some kids, you know, opting out. There's kids, you know, going straight into the G League program that the NBA does. There's kids, you know, coming in quick for however long and then leaving right after. So I just feel like this season, I don't think you can put a team in the one spot. I definitely think Gonzaga is going to be a problem. But I think with college basketball, the teams that are always in like the one or two spot in the preseason rankings never end up there come March. So I think it'll be a team somewhere late, you know, somewhere farther down the rankings list. But I think, I think it'll be somebody that surprises us if, if UNC is unable to pull it off, which I would love to see this year. I kind of need it. You know, I need UNC to win something for me. Yeah, we will see how it goes. Um, I really just, like you said, that we missed March Madness. So because of that fact, I just don't really know anything about these teams right now. Um, but all I know of, is, all I know is right now is basketball starts tomorrow, and then I'm going to sit down and probably watch every single game because I just miss college basketball that much. Oh no, I'm very excited for some college basketball. Um, speaking of, there's been a lot of discussions for a neutral site for the tournament because of the co- uh, coronavirus. That's going to be tough with the number of teams that you have to bring in. Um, so that's going to be an interesting way to do it. I like the idea in concept. Now execution is going to be tough, but you kind of have to do it that way. I mean, I don't see traveling being very possible. No, I don't either. And I think that, that I mean, we've already seen it so far with, with there's already a couple of games canceled teams that aren't playing teams that are suspending their, you know, their basketball programs period. They're all their athletic programs right now because COVID is making a spike again. I, I definitely can see it, them figuring out a way to work it out. It's the NCAA. It's March Madness. They cannot miss a second one. They lost so much money last year not doing it. But I also think that that's going to play a factor this year if they do try to do it. Because in order for them to, you know, house X amount of teams, X amount of players for a tournament that lasts almost a month, it's going to be very difficult. I think that they'll be able to do it. They'll probably do something down in Florida. They might even use it. You know, if they can use that NBA facility that they had built, that's probably the most ideal for them. I know they've got plenty of courts to use down there, and they can probably build some more in a matter of a month if they needed to. But I'll be curious to see how it goes. And I think that we're not going to know anything about where the tournament's going to occur, what's going to happen with it until February probably. Oh, yeah. It's going to be quite a – while 
you would say UVA, UNC, uh, they play on Wednesday, as does UVA. So those are two games, ACC basketball games I am looking forward to. That's going to wrap our set, our quarter three up. Moving on, last but not least, quarter four. Let's my go. thing is, and I'm going first. My thing is, Justin Herbert is easily the rookie of the year, even without Joe Burrow's injury. Now, Joe Burrow was making a case for his rookie of the year, and I was actually leaning Burrow for a while. But I, I the more I watch Justin Herbert, he is a pure athlete, has a cannon of an arm and can make some throws that Joe Burrow can't he just I saw the throw he made uh on Sunday against New York was disgusting he just threw the ball on a frozen road between three defenders the kid the kid just looks amazing statistically is dominating the season they're not winning but that's not necessarily his fault he is making some rookie mistakes but that defense continually and perpetually gives up leads so i'm picking joe or excuse me i would pick justin herbert for rookie of the year even without an injury to joe burrow brad what's your thing all right well hold on let me comment on yours because i'm pretty sure i we 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 had this discussion when we did our like midway through the year who we're picking yes and i picked herbert as mine i picked herbert as my guy I've been sold on him. I am a little biased. He's my fantasy quarterback, so I kind of need him to be the rookie of the year for me to do anything in fantasy football. He's looks well. I mean, the dude's a freak, I think. And I honestly think him staying an extra year at Oregon probably helped him out a little bit more. I think it helped him Great. mature, grow up. I mean, not that he's immature. I mean, the dude had, what, like a 4.01 GPA at Oregon with some hard-ass major. So, I mean, but I definitely think that – him saying next year at Oregon helps him out a little bit. Now, let me get into my thing is because I'm super excited for this weekend. This is a big week of sports. We got basketball Wednesday. Thursday, we got football because it's Thanksgiving. Thank the Lord for that. Friday, I don't know what's going on. I'm going golfing, so that's all I care about. And Saturday, UNC, Notre Dame. Don't care. 3.30, the UNC will beat Notre Dame. Notre Dame is bound to lose a game. UNC is slowly starting to pick themselves back up. They're now back in the top 25. They've moved into that 25 spot, so they're chilling. Or not chilling, but they're back. Um, and I think that they're going to prove themselves, and they're going to show the weaknesses of this Notre Dame team and be able to send them home with an L. And I'm going to come back next week and rub it all on your face when you finally have a team that has a loss because it's annoying that none of your teams know how to freaking lose and all of mine freaking do. So UNC is beating Notre Dame this week. I don't care. I, I'm so excited for it, and I just can't wait to talk to you about it after it's over. I'm not really worried about a team that has lost to UVA and Florida State, respectively. Uh, I think this is going to be a close game. I don't see UNC really being able to – that defense will not be able to stop the run offense of Notre Dame um, because they couldn't stop any offenses of two of the worst offenses in the AFC – or, the excuse me, the ACC – so I think Notre Dame wins. I think it's going to be a good game, but I still think Notre Dame takes this. And I still think both of my teams are going to remain undefeated through this weekend, which I'm so excited for. I'm going to continue to get more and more arrogant throughout this. Which I hate because it's, because it's as you should. Like, you have complete rights to. Your teams have zero losses combined between the two of them. But it's annoying as hell, and I hate it so much. So I need a loss. I'm hoping for a big loss this weekend. Shoot, maybe UNC comes out and beats them by 14. Maybe a little two-score action puts Notre Dame out of their misery. And uh, that's just not gonna and, happen. And then and then they don't make the playoffs, which is at the end of the day what I'm really hoping for the most. <clears throat> Anyways, moving on. All right, that is gonna wrap up episode 13 of Four Quarters. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, don't forget, we are now a part of College Sports Network. Don't forget to hit the follow button, hit subscribe. And if you want to write for College Sports Network, do not be afraid to reach out. That's hey, going to do it for episode 13. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's have a week. Don't let me into my song. 
Don't let me into my zone. I'm definitely in my zone. zone, zone, zone.